The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, today our show is about privacy in companies and what they should be doing, and especially with regard to international law. And we have the most wonderful expert with us today. Let me tell you a little bit about Lisa Soto. She is a wonderful managing partner of the New York Law Office of Hunton and Williams, LLP, and she heads the firm's top-ranked privacy and data security practice. She was voted the world's leading privacy advisor in Computer World's three most recent annual surveys, and she was ranked in Band 1 by Chambers USA for Privacy and Data Security. Lisa also was recognized as a leading lawyer in the 2011 edition of the Legal 500 United States and she was named one of the Ethispheres Magazine's 100 2009 Attorneys Who Matter. And that was in a listing of attorneys who have risen to the top. In addition, she has been selected by her peers for several consecutive years as a New York super lawyer. She has tremendous experience counseling clients on privacy, data security, information management, all sorts of things in the area of privacy and security and technology. And she assists in identifying, evaluating, and managing risks associated with privacy information security and records management practices. And this would be with regard to companies and to third parties. She has so much more I could tell you about, but I really want to talk to her. You can find out more about her and all the great work that she does at a couple of websites I want to give you. First of all, at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, you'll see her photo and her bio and of course a link to the website. So it's a much longer bio. And also you can go to Hunton H-U-N-T-O-N dot com and she has a blog at Hunton privacyblog.com so you don't want to miss that she is just wonderful and she's joining us all the way from new york thank you so much lisa for joining us thank you mari well my goodness you sure wear lots of hats and you have all these like i'm going to call you queen of privacy (laughs) (laughs) wonderful that's terrific so tell me Now, you must have some challenges, though, like all of us. So what are some of your greatest challenges in your practice with privacy? 
Well, as you know, Mari, this is an incredibly exciting time to be practicing in this area. Uh, the legal requirements and consumer expectations regarding the use of their personal information are evolving at lightning speed. And even those of us who practice in this area 24-7 are, are truly struggling to keep up with the pace of change. In addition to the fast pace that we're all experiencing, we're also experiencing data breaches in record numbers. Um, so you, you called me the queen of privacy. One of my clients calls me the queen of breach. <laughs> <laughs> we're actually handling um, at least five breaches at any given time. Um, breaches are ubiquitous. So to say it's a busy time for privacy and data security professionals is, is really an understatement. Yes, and talking about breaches, Let's talk about some of those legal issues and liabilities that come up with a breach event because it can happen to a tiny business that's driving by here or a large business that's driving by or anyone who's listening. It can happen to anyone. That's right. And the term security breach is actually a bit misleading because it really defines a very broad spectrum of activities from the most innocuous, like a lost laptop, to the most malicious, like a, a, a hacking event that is specifically targeting people's personal information. Right now in the United States, there are uh, 46 state uh, breach notification laws, plus laws in the District of Columbia, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and Puerto Rico, in addition to a federal law uh, affecting the privacy, the, the, the uh, security of health data. There are very few breaches that actually implicate a single state or a single regulatory regime. So we really need to, to manage a complex patchwork of laws when we're representing uh, a client in a data breach. I really call it a culture of data breach because you have to understand the entire uh, framework of how to handle a breach. You can't really just read the laws. Yes. So when we're working on a breach, we're really looking at every aspect. We're looking at the legal Side, but we're also thinking about uh, the forensics side, law enforcement, breach notification, how to deal with credit monitoring or, or an identity uh, protection solution, setting up a call center, and then, of course, dealing with the regulators, the state attorneys general, the FTC, or, or uh, the Office for Civil Rights at the Department of Health and Human Services. And, you know, Larry Poneman has done several studies on the cost of a breach, and it's very expensive. I mean, obviously, not only to hire the lawyers to help them, but to the note, the notification and the call centers. I mean, it's, it's much more, um, I think, helpful to have some prevention measures and to really be very, very careful to hopefully avoid a security breach if possible. I'm sure that's what you teach a lot of your clients on after they've been through this, especially on protection from uh, from these kinds of security breaches. Is that right? That's exactly right. And, and the, you know, the overarching message really is prevent, 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 prevent. Um, that's the best advice we could give a client. You mentioned the cost, and it's interesting because um, what, what Larry has studied are the hard costs, and there's no question that the hard dollars in the event of a breach are very high. Uh, but in fact, the reputational risk can be even more damaging to a company. So I think, you know, the lesson that we, that we really learn is we can't prevent breaches from happening altogether. They really are ubiquitous. But we can put in place procedures and technologies that seek to minimize the risk of a breach and the impact from a breach.
Exactly. And, you know, we've had some lessons here with the government breaches like the VA. And then, of course, we've heard about Epsilon and Sony breaches. So um, what do you think are the most important things uh, that we can learn from that? Yeah, those are those are breaches that I think um, were game changers. The the Epsilon breach um, really pointed us to the fact that data that we did not previously consider to be terribly sensitive really can be used in ways to inflict harm. And the Sony breach tells us that a company that we have really enormous trust in a technology company that we think can handle these these types of incidents so well, in fact, even they have difficulty managing these sorts of events. So what are what are the key key takeaways? What can we be doing? I think um, it's very important for companies to take responsibility, um, own up right away to the fact that there's an issue, and don't try to place blame elsewhere. Take responsibility and uh, take the reins and take control. Um, we also want to work very quickly when this happens to try to shore up all the systems, make sure that there are, there are no uh, or few existing vulnerabilities. It's hard to get 100% security, but we can do our best there. And then, of course, we, we also work to regain the trust of the individuals whose data was compromised. And that has a lot to do with just customer service, how you treat people afterwards. Because I know if, if I go to a company and they're really, you know, they're apologetic, they want to do everything that they can. Like you said, they set up a call center where people are really nice. They explain what's going on. They tell them what kind of information was acquired or what wasn't acquired. It, I think it, it goes a long way to setting up that kind of consumer trust. Yeah, that's right. I think saying... Um saying mea culpa, taking, taking responsibility is, is the immediate first step to take. And then there are additional steps that, um, that you certainly want to jump all over. The key is to determine the scope of the breach, what systems were impacted, what data was affected, and which individuals were affected. And then immediately begin your remediation uh, of, of whatever the vulnerability is and go out and notify the affected population. And, you know, Lisa, it's so hard nowadays when companies have data everywhere. I mean, we're talking about on thumb drives, on CDs, on backup drives, on, you know, and that that goes to the whole issue of like when I interviewed um Anne Kavukian from the, you know, the commissioner of Ontario, Canada, and, and she was talking about privacy by design. And that means, you know, getting in and from the get go, know where your data is, how, what is collected? Why is it collected? Are you going to continue to collect it? How are you going to do it? Aren't those some of the things that you have to talk to your clients about? Oh, absolutely. And data minimization goes a long way toward that prevention principle. If you don't have it in the first place, you can't lose it. Exactly. And, and even if you do have it, you know, who has access to it? I've been an expert witness on cases where the the you know the clients that were uh, you know affected by this breach um, had identity theft victims as well. I mean the customers were identity theft victims, and that's because there was access to sensitive data that these people never needed to have, whether it was a, a bottle cleaner or a temporary employee. I mean, people not only collecting data, but who has access to that data and why do they need to have access to that data? Even if, if the company needs to have sensitive data, can't they segregate it? 
Well, exactly. Access controls are so important, and those need to be revisited frequently. You can't really rest on your laurels in this area. The uh, the criminals are moving very fast, and they're very sophisticated. So we have to make sure we're not fighting yesterday's battle, but in fact need to figure out how to fight tomorrow's battle. Yeah. And, you know, like our security breach law in California, which was the first one out there, you know, we have said that if sensitive data was acquired um, by an unauthorized person and it was a com- it was computerized information that was acquired by an unauthorized person that there is a duty to disclose to all those persons who may be affected unless there was encryption. So what do you see now in terms, do you see more and more companies encrypting sensitive data? Yes. Um, companies are, I think, getting smarter around this and we are seeing many companies going toward a a full encryption model. And that means really encrypting their mobile devices, making sure that all laptops are encrypted, making sure that thumb drives are encrypted, and in some cases not allowing data to uh, to be downloaded onto portable devices. Yeah, that's a good idea. And then the only problem that you have is if it's encrypted, but the IT person is a dirty employee and they have the key to decrypt, <laughs> then, then you've got the problem. But uh, hopefully that, that won't be the case in most most instances. So what do you see as the most pressing issue involving privacy and data security right now? Well, of course, breach is, is a huge issue. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, breaches are ubiquitous. If, if a company hasn't experienced one, chances are good they're not looking. Um, but I also think we have a, another very significant issue, and that is in the United States, we really do not have a comprehensive uh, framework for managing privacy. So it is hard to operate where, where we have this morass of, of conflicting and overlapping laws. There are literally hundreds of privacy and data security laws in the United States, both on the state and federal level. And in fact, this, this mess uh, is uh, not just a U.S. issue, but a global issue, because what we have right now is a global cacophony of uh, data protection laws. And as, as you know well, data is uh, not confined by country boundaries. So it's, it's very difficult to say uh, that the data that sits in Malaysia should be under the jurisdiction of Malaysian law when, in fact, that data could be sitting in 16 different jurisdictions and it's the same data set. So this, this uh, melange of laws that affect the same data set but that can conflict with each other really makes this a very complex area in which to practice. Oh, it's a crazy patchwork, isn't it? Yes, it it's, is. it's just insane. And so, you know, you've got the European Union, which they are similar, aren't they? The, the members of the European Union have similar privacy laws. Similar is um, is the right way to frame it. Um, <laughs> they're, they're supposed to be harmonized. They're actually not. Um, you know, Europe, European data protection law really is very different um, in, in tenor. And the reason for that is that the backdrop in Europe is different. Data in Europe was used to persecute people uh, in the Nazi regime and in Eastern Europe, for example. In the United States, we think of data as a consumer protection right in Europe. Um, they think of, of, sorry, we think of privacy as a data protection right. In Europe, they think of privacy as a, a fundamental human right. Yes. So the laws there are much more stringent. They are uh, comprehensive. 
uh, in their coverage, and each of the 27 uh, member states of the European Union um, has adopted the, the EU Data Protection Directive. So, yes, they are harmonized, although there is uh, there are significant differences in how they're enforced in each of the countries. Right. So can you explain a little bit to my audience about the opt-in and opt-out? Because that's another huge difference, European Union. And I think it goes back to the to the worries that you talked about, like with the Nazi regime, with data being used in, against you, you know. So uh, kind of explain about the opt-in and opt-out, because that makes a big difference to our um, you know, all of our companies that are doing work with uh, individuals or, or having customers who are individuals in the European Union? Sure. Um, well, with respect to certain types of marketing uses of data, in Europe we have an opt-in regime so that, for example, you would need to opt-in to receive marketing emails. In the United States, we have an opt-out regime. You can you get an email, and a company has that one free pass, and then if you don't want further emails from a company, you need to opt out of receiving those emails. So it really, there really is a very different tone uh, toward the use of data in Europe versus the United States. Right. L- let me ask you something. So in terms of this big concern that we have this crazy potpourri of what's going on with all these countries and we're trying to do business with each other, so that makes it difficult, um, what what kind of regulatory framework are we looking at, at least in the United States? That's a great and very timely question, Mari. We have, there are uh, a number of bills, more than I've, I've seen, uh, sitting in Congress right now, and some of them are quite comprehensive and others are pinpointed with respect to particular issues. I think, unlike prior years, there really is a difference because now privacy is something that everyone is thinking about. It's front-page news, and, and the, the person on the street knows about privacy. They may not understand it well, but they have heard about it. They, under, they understand that this is something that they need to be thinking about. So the appetite for legislation in this area, federal legislation, is high. It's much higher than I think it's been in the past. Uh, the, the general lore is that it takes three Congresses to get a bill passed. Um, <laughs> right. And this is, this is the second, probably, I would say, with really serious comprehensive bills. So um, I think we're, we're, we're working toward uh, comprehensive federal legislation in this country, and, uh, and I think we're likely to see it pretty soon. And what do you think it'll look like? Well, um, you know, hard to prognosticate uh, on this, but I think we are likely to see a comprehensive regime. Uh, certainly, it will cover online privacy, and I would bet uh, we'll see we'll see something that covers uh, data collected offline as well. All right. We are speaking with a wonderful attorney from New York City, Lisa Soto, who's the managing partner of the New York office of Hunton and Williams. And I want to have you know that you should go to her blog because that's really important that you see a lot of things that are going on and, you know, that are very timely at HuntonPrivacyBlog.com. So, Lisa, let's let's talk about what kind of regulatory regime. Now, would this be through uh, the Federal Trade Commission, or, or how would this be enforced? Or uh, what are your thoughts about that? 
Well, let me talk a little bit about what the FTC is doing these days, and I'll also add the Department of Commerce. Um, the FTC and the Department of Commerce in, in December of 2010 both issued uh, seminal papers. They're, they were draft papers, uh, but very important, game-changing papers on privacy. Um, what they did is they really uh, chose through those papers to enter the policy discussion in a big way. Now, the FTC has been there for a number of years, but the Department of Commerce was really dormant on privacy for about a decade. They were active a decade ago, and now um, they have reinvigorated this, their efforts in this area. So I think what we'll see are, is, is a joint effort uh, between the FTC and the Department of Commerce. Now, the Department of Commerce can't enforce, um, so their job is to facilitate commerce. They're very, very active right now in thinking about privacy issues. The FTC is the enforcement agency, so they would be the ones um, to enforce on any new privacy law. And they've made their, their uh, wish list known for what they would like to see in privacy legislation. So in terms of how we're going, if we go ahead with our privacy legislation, is it similar to what the European Union is looking at in privacy legislation? Because I know they're looking at new legislation as well. That's right. Um, in Europe, we are uh, seeing a, a complete reconsideration of the European Privacy, uh, data Protection Directive. We are uh, we're told that a draft will be issued later this year, and we're looking at new uh, new rules by about 2014. Um, the existing framework in Europe came came into being in 1995, so that was the mainframe era, and everything is different now. We need a a really complete overhaul of that regime, and and the fact is. Um, there are very few companies operating in Europe who can really say they're in 100% compliance. That doesn't mean that most companies aren't trying. They are trying. But it's very hard when the law um, really was pegged to a, a, a whole different schema. Uh, I do not think we're going to see in this country uh, requirements that are that are patterned after those in Europe, but I think we'll see elements of European data protection law implemented in the U.S. Uh, some examples of that are uh, the concept of data minimization, not retaining data that you don't need or not collecting it in the first place. Uh, to serve the purpose for which you're collecting the data. Uh, we hear a lot about uh, the ability to access your own data, so being able to ask a company what data they have about you and then being able to correct that data if it's inaccurate. Yeah, and we already have that in California. Yes. Yeah. Now, okay, so we don't have a single regulatory framework worldwide, and, and we know that the other com you know, countries are also introducing privacy legislation. It's all over the place. I don't know how you sleep at night, Lisa. It's got to be crazy. But so given that, you're, what if you're a company that, that sells products internationally, you collect data internationally, you know, what, do you, what should you do? Is there any, are there any practical steps that you should take to ensure that you're not going to have a problem with the European Union or other countries or even the United States? Yeah, you're right to say, what in the world do you do? Um, we see the dominoes falling quickly everywhere. Uh, countries that we would never have thought we'd see 
uh, comprehensive privacy legislation in our, our passing laws. So we're seeing uh, now there's a, there's a very strong law in Mexico with regulations just being issued now. Uh, Uruguay has a law, uh, Korea, Malaysia, um, India just issued regulations. So these are, are countries that uh, we really would not have expected several years ago to see comprehensive legislation in, and here, here they are. So what do you do uh, yeah, in the absence the... <laughs> of, a, of a harmonized global regime, exactly. uh, which we do not have, and I don't think we will have at least uh, for another 10 years and possibly not till I retire. Um, I think we need to, to, if you're in a company that operates globally, you have to think about uh, the regulatory framework in all of your rele- relevant jurisdictions and watch the changing landscape very carefully. Um, but beyond that, I mean, it goes without saying that you need to comply with law. Beyond that, it's really imperative to know your data. Know what data you have in your systems, and that will give you a very good sense of how to protect it. And that is not easy for a lot of companies because data is everywhere. So being able to catalog data is actually quite a challenge. And then, Mari, you also mentioned privacy by design, which I think is just a, a, a superb principle for every company to keep in mind. If you think about privacy um, at the inception of any new marketing uh, scheme, at the inception of building any new product or technology, then you build privacy in from the start, and you don't have to retrofit these things for privacy later on. Right. Even even your services, any new services you're going to provide, you need to think also about that. That's right. Not just the technology. What are, you know, I guess you need to have a privacy officer like you on board to ask the good questions, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, we are just about out of time. I would just love you to um, give your websites again and just tell us just... Just quickly, if, if you had your druthers, what would you like to see in, in legislation? Well, I would like to see some uniformity, and that would mean that we would, we would see federal preemption, for example, of the, the 46-plus uh, state ger- breach notification laws. It, it is very difficult to navigate through that complex web. So I think federal, uh, a federal preemptive regime and some uniformity would be very helpful. You know, I would go for that, too, if they at least had had it at the, you know, held it to the bar like the California legislation or to the most strictest standards. Then I'd feel comfortable with it because we work so hard to get that California legislation. And I would hate for it to be watered down that the company itself can decide whether or not there was a, a risk of harm. You know, and that's or, been such an important piece. Of yeah. Yeah. That, that's been crazy. But anyway, we want to thank you and just give your blog again. Sure. It's www huntonprivacyblog.com Well, you are wonderful. And we I know things are happening so quickly that we're going to have to have you back again. And we thank you so much, Lisa, for the great work that you're doing. Thank you very much, Mari. Okay. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit us at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. See our upcoming guests, download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and write us emails about what's important to you in the information age. And we thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you will join us again. Also, make sure that you listen to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict, and there you can also visit our website at 
conflicthealing.com and find out everything you need to know about how to bring more peace into your own life, into your family life, and to your community. So thank you, and we will see you again next week. Bye. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. 